0: This is an important class. Uh, this is a class that I added because what I discovered in teaching this in past years was that to try to tell you about sacraments and then also baptism and confirmation was too much. Uh, so what I have here are some notes, and you'll forgive me for stapling them in the wrong place. I just you just you can leave it that way or tear it out in frustration, whatever you want to do um, now, the next class that you'll have is going to be a baptism and confirmation in January. And quite literally, for you, it's the most. It's probably the most important class you'll have. If you're being baptized or if you're being confirmed, this is the class that describes um, what's going on. So I used to teach sacraments and baptism and confirmation. Try to fit it in one class, it was just too much. So what I'm going to do here this evening is I'm going to introduce sacraments to you And if we have time, we'll continue on to start talking about baptism. And I figure it won't hurt to hear it twice, right? Okay, so everybody knows that the Catholic Church has sacraments. uh, But we want to understand what that means. Okay, let's understand what that means. So I've got a little definition for you here. And we want to digest this best we can. The traditional definition of a sacrament is this. It's an external sign instituted by Christ, which gives grace. Three things. Every sacrament is a sign. Secondly, every sacrament comes from who? Comes from Christ. Third thing, every sacrament gives what? Grace. And that's what we want to try to understand. It seems astonishingly simple, but you must understand it and take this as deeply as you possibly can. Our catechism, which we now use, calls sacraments an efficacious sign of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is dispensed to us. And that's really the same thing. First of all, a sacrament is a sign. Let's take a look at that. Every sacrament is something visible. This is, all this isn't in your notes. This is me going, These are old notes, but it's still a decent reference, so I gave you the notes anyway. Every sacrament is a sign. Every sacrament is something visible. That something visible gives something invisible. That's, that invisible thing that a sacrament gives is called grace. Okay. What I would like you to understand or to try to internalize is that you are already every day of your life living in a world, uh, with sacraments, maybe not Catholic sacraments with a capital S, but what I might term secular sacraments with a small S because our, we are spirit and matter. You are a body clearly But you're not just a body, you're also a spirit. This pair of glasses, this paper, this pen, this table, pure matter. There's no spirit here. And we talked about spirit in bygone weeks. But you are also a spirit. You're a rational spirit, which means that you're different from a dog or a cat. Uh, A dog or a cat may have some kind of instinct, some kind of loyalty instinct, um, this kind of thing. But... Uh, a dog or a cat isn't going to sit and isn't going to sit and uh, uh, pardon me for interrupting uh, um. attendance name okay. last name okay a dog or a cat isn't going to sit and ponder the meaning of life or stare off into the into the into the beautiful night sky and admire how beautiful it is You are a rational spirit. That's what we mean when we say you're made in God's image. You've heard that before, right? Mm -hmm. And and I haven't repeated that. I I didn't say this before, did I? If I did, I'm repeating myself, which I hate to do. But do you know what it means that you're made in God's image? People just spout it off as a platitude. I'm made, made in God's image. I'm a child of God, people will say. But they don't know what it means. Question, is a squirrel made in God's image? No. Is a turnip made in God's image? Is an angel made in God's image? Yes. Yes. Because to be made in God's image means something very specific. It means two things. Number one, it means you have an intellect. Number two, it means you have a will. Now, every animal has something going on upstairs, right? You know, dolphins are smart. They can solve puzzles, that kind of thing. But when we say that you're made in God's image, you've got a rational intellect that sets you apart from animals that sets you apart from anything else in this world. Um, until Homo sapiens showed up on the surface of the earth, you can look back across paleo paleo paleobiology, hundreds and millions before the dinosaurs, all the history of all the animals. It was one apex predator after another. That's all, that's all the history of the world was. One apex predator after another. In one century, it was a Tyrannosaurus. And before that, it was a different kind of Saurus. And before that, it was some kind of lizard in the sea. And before that, it was some kind of great big sea scorpion. And before that, it was some kind of super amoeba. I mean, there's always one apex predator after another. Mankind comes along, and it's unlike any other creature that's ever been produced. We start making cities. We start speaking language. We start philosophizing. We start thinking. We start imagining. We start doing wrong, right? Wrong as well as right? But that's what the first thing that sets you apart is you have an intellect that can know right and wrong. And the second thing is you have a will that can freely choose. Now you could look at a dog and maybe say that your dog has an expression of guilt because it climbed up on the table and ate the birthday cake and it has its tail between its legs. And there is something going on there like the dog knows I might get punished for this. But the dog isn't ever going to have to go to psychological counseling because of, you know, some kind of some kind of guilt complex. But you might, right? You might have post-traumatic stress disorder. You would never say that about a dachshund. Um, you have a will that's free to choose. Now, the perfection of your intellect is knowing the truth. And the perfection of your will is choosing love. That's God's image. Okay? Your intellect is made to know the truth. That's why you hate it when people lie. That's what taught you to be a skeptic. Little children, you talk to them, they believe everything you say. Tell them you went to the moon. If they're young enough, they'll say, wow, what was it like? And then eventually you learn that people are deceptive and you learn to start to become a, a critic and, a, and, and, and become to analyze what people say to you because you don't want to be told a lie because your mind was made to know the truth. When you find the truth, you grasp onto it. Unless grasping onto the truth is such a conflict with your will that you don't want it to be true. And you have all experienced that, right? Because your will has to be involved too. You have a will and your will is made to love. Do you know what love is? Have we talked about this before? Let's define love. It's really very simple. Love is willing, that is choosing, what's good for somebody else. No matter what it costs you. So sometimes I'll talk to people in marriages and they'll be like, we don't love each other anymore. The love's gone out of the marriage. And what they mean to say is, the feelings and the emotions have gone out of the marriage. But love never goes out. Why? Because you can always choose What's best for somebody else, whether you feel anything or not? How about parents? Sometimes you have to discipline a kid. If you don't discipline a kid, your kid's going to grow up to be a jerk. You love them by disciplining them, and it doesn't matter whether they like it or not. It's what's best for them. The perfection of your will is choosing love. The perfection of your intellect is knowing the truth. That's God's image. That's what it means. Okay, That's what it means um, that you are a soul. We'll talk about that in just a second too. Uh, but you are a body and a soul made in God's image. And what God does to you in a sacrament is he gives you his invisible life, which we call grace. Okay, So I'm going to leap ahead now. I'm going to define grace. It's very, very simple. Grace is God's life in your soul. That sounds so second grade catechism simple that you might hear it and not let it register. But I need you to really let that register. Okay. First of all, you have a soul. And we've just talked about that, correct? Your soul is the spiritual part of you. Question for you. Uh, um, is your memory part of your soul? Yes or no, what do you think? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is your personality part of your soul? Yes. 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 Is your, are your faults part of your soul? Yes. Is your, are your good qualities part of your soul? Yes. Real simple to define a soul. It's everything in you that's not physical. Simplest way to define a soul is go to a funeral home, look in the casket, and ask what's missing. Everything missing is the soul. Your, your fears, your loves, your memories, your, um, your, your hang-ups, your, your guilt complexes, uh, your good points, your bad points. Anything about you that can't be measured with a ruler or weighed in a scale uh, or looked at under a microscope is your soul. Okay? So your hair isn't your soul, your fingernails aren't your soul. Your eyeballs aren't your soul, um, but everything else is. So you have a soul, and your soul is alive. but what I need you to understand is what that means, or we'll never understand sacraments. OK? Your soul is alive. I said it was your, your will was made to know what, the truth. and your, your, I'm sorry, your will was made to choose what? The truth. Love, and your mind was made to know what? The truth. the truth. OK. You're really in God's image when you're filled with truth and filled with love. That's God's image. OK? So that's the life of your soul, truth and love. You ever stopped to consider this before? Consider it now. You are, all of us here in this room, are to one degree or another more or less alive in God's image. The more truth we embrace, the more alive we are in God's image. The more love we live, the more alive we are in God's image. The less truth we embrace, and some people, let's let's not confuse ourselves about it. Some people willingly embrace lies, don't they? Why? Because they're profitable, correct? Mm -hmm. I mean, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have Capitol Hill. Um, It's profitable. It's profitable to live by lies. People choose them. And it's profitable not to choose what's best for somebody else, but choose what's best for me, right? I don't care about you. I want what's best for me, says every person stuck in traffic, right? Um, And the more you choose what's best for you and the more you embrace a lie, the less alive your soul is. So far, so good. So what's grace again? God's life in your soul. Is that something we want? Yes. It is, but it's very hard to live by. Let's talk about what God's life in your soul might look like. Um, anytime you've ever seen anyone, well, the simplest way to put it is this. Anytime you've ever seen anyone sacrifice themselves for the well-being of someone else, and you honor that, you're looking at a soul that has acted the way God would act. Um, whenever uh, oh I don't know, you, you you see some ceremony by which uh, some military hero is honored for some gallantry in battle, by which he got a leg blown off but saved ten people's lives, something like that, and everyone's just like in tears and and the deepest imaginable respect, and we pin a medal on him, but it's the it's inadequate to show just how much we honor this person. The, what we're really honoring there is a spirit of sacrifice, right? And what is a spirit of sacrifice? But a spirit of love. Okay? It's actually God's image. The most perfect image of God that you will ever see is the crucifix. That, by definition, is love. That is him doing what's best for you, no matter what it cost him. Whether you know it or not, whether you care about it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you like it or not. It's not about, it's not about your awareness of it. It's about your good. And every time we ever honor anyone who sacrifices for anyone else, what we're really honoring is that in some, some little slice of them is like Jesus Christ. Honestly, that's why I'm a Catholic right there. It, it, God is someone who sacrifices himself for the love of other people. Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that. God isn't just a guy up there with a set of rules, hurling them down at us from on high, telling us that we're going to go to hell if we don't keep them. God is rather one who, who calls us to be like himself, well, grace is God's life. Now, why do we call it grace? It comes from the Latin word gratia, which means free. Grace is just given away. He gives it away for free. And where does he promise that he'll give it away? Answer? Sacraments. That's what sacraments are. Okay? So a sacrament is an external sign that gives grace. Why? Because something invisible is communicated. Um, if, if I give you a handshake, right? what does that communicate? That tangible, squeezable, holdable thing. What does it communicate when I give somebody a handshake? It, a certain sense of well-being, a certain sense of, I don't know, a strength of a relationship to some degree. We're, we're certainly not mortal enemies if we'll do that. Uh, it's a sacrament with a small s. It's a physical thing that communicates something invisible. I can't communicate kind of a, a warm, stable, solid, good relationship, so I reach out and I grab my hand and we both know what that means. It's a sacrament. Or how about if I smile? Everybody in the world knows what a smile means. There's no culture in the entire world that doesn't smile. Everybody smiles. We all know what it means. Now, officially, I think there's 14 muscles that make you smile, something like that, 72 that make you frown. I think I've heard that before. Um, It's just a bunch of contraction of muscles, but everybody knows that that physical thing has an invisible meaning, right? So a smile is kind of like a sacrament. See how this works? Um, If you're the fastest runner in the Olympics, they give you a medal. And if you're the fastest, the fastest. The color of the medal is gold. And the only reason that thing has value is because of what you did out there on the athletic field. If you bought one from a pawn shop, someone might marvel at your neat collectible, but they're not going to think anything better about you. They just think maybe you you spent a lot of money and bought something really cool. Uh, But to give you a, a medal then is a visible, tangible thing that communicates what? Something invisible. We don't know how to honor the fact that you're the fastest runner, so let's put a medal around your neck. Or how about a wedding proposal? Every girl wants what? She wants to ring, baby, right? She wants to ring. Give me the ring. Do You think any girl would ever let her guy live it down if he popped the question, but didn't have the hardware, right? Oh, Never, right? She wants that ring, amigo, right? And everybody knows it. Why? Because that thing symbolizes what? Something invisible. It symbolizes, I don't know how to put this into words, so I bought this beautiful little thing for you to keep always within your line of sight. I want to give you my whole life. Here, put this on. A visible thing that communicates something invisible. What do we call that? A small s? A sacrament. A sacrament is merely a visible thing that communicates something invisible. But that invisible thing that it communicates is God's Grace. Now, let's go to the definition of the word sacrament. The word sacrament comes from the Latin word sacramentum. And that means pledge. It's very simple. It means promise. That's all the word sacrament means. If, if you bantered about the word sacrament, people might think that it's a synonym for holy. Or they might think it's a synonym for sacred. Or they might think it's a synonym for churchy. Sacrament, the word actually in Latin, just means Promise. So you could go back to the Roman Senate in the ancient of days, and you would find them taking votes. And you know, certain senators, Publius might go up to Quiglius and say, I need your vote you know, on the, on the bill tomorrow. And he'll say, here's my sacramentum. Here's my promise. I promise you I'm going to vote this way. And he'd hand him a piece of paper. Or you could go into the Roman Forum and you could buy marble columns um, that are for sale in the Forum. I don't have enough money with me today, but I'll go home and bring you some more denarius. Here's my... Sacramentum, my promise, my pledge. So what do we call sacraments? We call them promises. That's literally what the word sacrament means. With me so far? Mm -hmm. What's promised in a sacrament? What is promised in a sacrament? Grace. Grace. Who makes the promise? God does. Who's the promise made to? Us. Us. So this is why we call them sacraments. Because you see this ceremony. Maybe it's water poured over a baby's head. Maybe it's a a wafer put on your tongue. Maybe it's oil put on your head. And for for confirmation, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to line up and I'm actually going to be the priest. And I'm going to take a little tiny bit of oil on my thumb and I'm going to say, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like that. And what I want you to know right now is that thing that you see, that visible external sign gives you what? Grace. Grace. And who's the one who made the promise? And to be a little bit more specific than to say God, we would say Jesus did. Okay, Because sacraments come from the New Testament, not the old. And we say every sacrament came from Jesus Christ. The church did not make them up. How many sacraments are there? Seven. Seven. Can there ever be eight? No. Can the Pope make one up? No. And can the Pope take one away? No. And if he ever did, we'd be in trouble. Because it would be like saying, how many commandments are there? And can, there, can the Pope take one away? No. boy would we be people would want to know which one he took away wouldn't they they 'd say, which one's off the table, <laughs> which one's up for grabs right? But we can't do that because they come from God. Well, sacraments come from Christ, so it's a visible thing because you need visible things. How do you know that you've been forgiven? Maybe if you have a friend, the friend gives you a hug right or or, or, or maybe they send you a card or maybe they send you flowers. Or maybe they take you out to coffee and, and, and you talk it over and it ends with a handshake. Who knows? But isn't there always something when there's a terrible weight of, of, of guilt on one person's side and the another wants them to know they're forgiven, don't they always reach out to make it visible somehow? Because you can't communicate something invisible, not unless you have something visible. See how, see how much sacraments make sense? See how our lives are filled with them? You're going to get Christmas cards. What are, What are they but little sacraments? Everyone sends you a Christmas card... Wishes you well. They don't know how to wish you well, so they give you a thing. They put it in the mail. Everyone who gives you a Christmas present, they 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 want to say you matter to me. I don't know how to do this, so I'm going to get a thing that I think you're going to like, and you'll appreciate that I put time into it. Get real shiny paper and wrap it all up. And when you get that thing, and boy, do sacraments ever work. They work. Even sacraments with a small s. Can I tell you a little story? I used to work for a pro-life group long ago, before the computerized change, everything. And we, uh, um, we had someone who would do our mailing for us, and we would send them electronic tape, and we'd send it across town, and he would put the electronic tape in his computer, and he'd print out all the mailings and mail them all out, and we'd give him a fee to, for his service, uh, our, our mailing guy. Well, he was terrible. You know, He, he, he was late with his mailings. He, he, he lost the stuff in the mail. And it was time and time and time again, we decided we were going to fire him. Our office said, we we can't deal with George anymore. He's just the worst. We're firing George. Well, somehow George found out that his job was on the chopping block. So you know what George did for everybody in the office? He went out and got Washington Capitals tickets, put them in the mail, and sent them to the office. Everybody got Washington Capitals. The whole office got Washington Capitals tickets. And we opened up the envelope and looked at one another askance. And we thought, what a manipulative, conniving, naive fool he is. To think that he can save his job with hockey tickets. And then we looked at the tickets and we said, hey, there's pretty good tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do? We all went. And guess what happened? We didn't fire George. <laughs> Did he improve? It, it worked. Right? What's that? Did he improve after that? Uh, he improved after that. He improved after that. But we didn't fire George because the sacrament worked. And I'm telling you, if you want to get through to somebody, get him a gift. Send him a Starbucks card. Sacraments. Work because you are body and spirit. When you receive something physical that means more than itself, it has a way of getting through to your spirit. And Jesus knows that because he made us. That's why he gave us life in sacraments. What are the sacraments? First one is what? Baptism. 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 And then the next one in order would be what? Eucharist. Actually, in the ancient order, the next one would be confirmation, believe it or not. And that's the order that will be at the Easter vigil. Just for fun, who knows the next ancient order, what will come after confirmation? The answer would be Eucharist. And then there's also confession, okay, which makes four. There's three left. Anybody name them? Holy orders. Matrimony, holy orders, and what? Yes. An anointing of the sick. Okay, so for all these little stages in life, Jesus has given us something visible to help us know that he's with us. So you start your spiritual life, and there's baptism. And baptism, we'll get to this in a second. Um, we use water, and there's a sense of cleansing and, and, and cleanness and newness and starting over. Um, and then you get confirmation, and you use oil. Now, that doesn't mean very much to us now, but in the ancient world, oil was a symbol of strength. They always anointed people. In fact, um, you might even see this with the, the new King Charles in England uh, coronation ceremony. They still anoint with oil when they, when, they, when they coronate a king, or a queen, for that matter. It's a part of the ancient ceremony. Why? Because it's a symbol of strength. Um, confession. There's a symbol, an external sign in confession. And that's literally that you can hear somebody say, I absolve you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have no doubt whatsoever your sins are forgiven because you heard somebody say it. And you'll notice that when when the priest says that, he doesn't say Jesus absolves you. He says, I absolve you. The first person singular there comes from Christ himself. Christ himself wants you to know you're forgiven. Please Please don't mull over this sin anymore. Let it go. Um, uh, we'll get to all the other sacraments in, 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 in due time, but you get the point. Every sacrament has a visible sign, but you can't prove that that gives you grace. So we call it a sacramentum because God promises that it gives you grace. Now, do you understand what sacraments are? Okay. Um, a pledge that grace is really given. Okay. And I said right here, we, we need exactly this because we are both body and spirit. We relate to spiritual realities, which are con- concretized in matter. Medals, trophies, Souvenirs. I saw a picture of a guy with a great big trophy, and somebody commented, "He's like, this is my cousin George with one of the many trophies he purchased secondhand." <laughs> and it's a joke because what value does it have unless you earned it, right? Sacrament. It's a small sacra, small less sacrament. Now, another very important point: we believe that Christ established these signs. If you think the church established these signs, then you think the church has authority over these signs, and therefore, you think the church should change them. When, and believe me, when the church won't change with the times, it's not because we don't want to believe me. We're all, especially the clergy are weak We're a bunch of, we're about as strong as peanut brittle. The clergy, we would do anything to have you love us. We would bend over backwards, but there's certain things we can't do. We can't reverse what Christ himself gave us. This is really hitting the fan with matrimony right now. Everybody would love us to have gay marriage. No, 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 it's not that we won't. It's that we can't, because it's not ours to change. Who came up with the sacraments, Christ or the church? Christ. Christ, This is very important. I knew had a friend, he was uh, a priest. He went down to Kenya. Turns out in Kenya, there's this ceremony where they drink the blood of a gazelle to get the speed of the gazelle, some kind of ancient ceremony. And, And he really wanted to include gazelle blood in the mass because it would be so meaningful to people, but he couldn't do it. He had to use wine. Why? Because who used wine? Jesus used wine. Um, I could go on and on about this. I don't really want a little tiny host first thing in the morning. I'd much rather have a donut. But I can't give you a donut for the Eucharist. Why? Because Jesus used unleavened bread. So please, think about this and think about this and think about this again. The church didn't make up the sacraments. That's why we can't change them. Look at that definition from your catechism again. An efficacious sign of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church. We're only the, the stewards of sacraments. We're not the masters. Okay, This is very, very important. Now, let's go over a little tiny bit more about sacraments. Everybody with me so far? Even though this isn't scripted or on your notes, but it's basically here. Okay. Every sacrament works in two ways. Two ways. And this is important for your life going forward. It's on your notes, so you don't have to write it yourself, but they all work ex opere operato and ex opere operantis. Allow me to explain. Ex opere operato means every sacrament works by the work done. Ex opere operantis means every sacrament works by the work being done. And here's what that means. Um, The sacraments works opere operato. In other words, if a sacrament is properly celebrated, it works. I don't care if the priest doing it is a scallywag. I don't care if he's the worst priest in the world. I don't care if he ought to leave the priesthood yesterday because he's such a scallywag. If he does what Jesus instituted, in the way Jesus instituted it, sacraments work. And what we say is they work ex opere operato, by the work done. Because who's the one really acting in a sacrament? Jesus. Jesus is. That's what matters. So if the worst priest in the world celebrates Mass and takes wheat bread and wine of the grape and says, this is my body. This is my blood. Who is the one who promises that that's really going to be a sacrament for you now, Jesus, Jesus. that's ex opere operato. Make sense. You never have to worry about who your priest is ever. Now it might make a difference as to how well he prays. It might make a difference as to how well he preaches. It might make a difference as to whether he shows up on time or not. Um, All kinds of things, you know, personality things get in there. And, and, and these things make a difference. But the sacrament that you'll receive, always the same, because it's always Christ who's the celebrant. So you receive communion from the Pope, or if you receive communion from a brand-newly ordained priest, he's only been ordained for one hour, and he's still got the smell of the fresh oil on his hands, is the Eucharist the same? Mm-hmm. That's what we call ex opere operato. So, so far, so good? By the work done, that's what it means. Okay. Now, if that's all there was to sacraments, I'm not going too fast, am I? Good, if that's all there was to sacraments, then every Catholic would be the holiest person in the world because we'd get all the grace, and other religions, they don't have sacraments. They don't have promises and pledges like we have promises and pledges. Then how come we aren't all the holiest of the holy? Why not? Because there's more than ex opere operato, that's why. There's another way a sacrament works, and it works this, together with ex opere operato. That We say they work ex opere operantis, which literally means by the work being done. And a simple way of putting that is what you get out of it is what you put into it. Okay? That's what ex opere operantis means. Uh, so I'm up there saying Mass. And I'm up there giving out the Eucharist. Question Is the Eucharist the same for everyone who receives it? Is the Eucharist that's given the same for everyone who receives it? Yes. Is the grace received the same for everyone who receives the same Eucharist? Yes. No. It depends on what you're thinking how you're praying, how much attention you're paying. If you're at Mass and your mind is somewhere else, you're disposed to get more out of what God wants to give you than someone, maybe their husband just died and they're begging God for help. Which one of the two gets more out of the exact same sacrament? The one who's better disposed. Make sense? Ex opere operantis. Classic example. Um, You might have heard of this before. Have you ever heard of the the violinist who played the violin at the Metro. His name was David Bell. Uh, David Bell was one of the finest violiner players in the world and he had just done, I think it was seven sold out nights with the Boston Philharmonic for which people paid, like in, in 1987, they paid like $100 a night for a seat and they, and they lined up for an hour to see him play. Well anyway, just for fun, the Washington Post did a study and they put him in Metro Center playing the exact same thing with his Stradivarius $4 million fiddle just to see what people would do. And they didn't care. It's all captured on video. One tiny little kid sees him playing about five years old and he stops and is mesmerized by it. His mother comes and pulls the kid away. The kid's craning his neck to keep listening. Everybody else, they just keep on walking by. Is, Is the music the same for everybody? Do they all appreciate it as much? That's ex opere operontis. Make sense? Think of that Stradivarius as the sacrament. Jesus is up there offering it. It's the same for everybody. Now think of the differences in appreciation. That's what goes on at Mass. That's why it matters how well you pray. And it's the same for confession too. Um, Everybody gets their sins forgiven. Don't get me wrong. But your grace and your strength that helps you to go and live differently, that depends on you. Um... Um, and it's the same for every sacrament, confirmation, you name it. Sacraments, the grace, I promise you it's given. But the strength that it makes for, for you to, to, to go out and, and, and live differently, that depends on you. That's ex opere operantis. Now, do you see how the sacraments work? Jesus promises grace and begs you, begs you, begs you to participate. Imagine getting a, a blank check from a billionaire. You fill in the amount. That's what it's like to get a Sacrament. Have you ever uh, heard of a novena before? Raise your hand if you know what a novena is. Raise your hand if you've heard of a novena. Okay, it's something Catholics do. It's a nine-day prayer. Sometimes they'll have a novena of prayers. Sometimes they'll have a novena of masses. And every day for nine days, they'll come back and they'll recite the same prayer. Why do we do it nine times? Is there something lacking in the prayer? No, there's something lacking in us. We need to do it nine times. Like, you could listen to this class again and get more out of it the second time than you got the first. Because you're limited. And similarly, you're limited spiritually when you go to receive a sacrament. So you do your bestest, but that's why you get them over and over and over and over and over again. The fault isn't in the sacrament. The fault is in us. So that's ex opere operantis. Make sense? So Jesus is there. um, And if we were really, really on our game uh, heck, once would be enough. And so we have to, in our weakness, keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. So it breaks my heart every time I say Mass. You know, I'll see people walking out after communion. And I'm just like, God can't do anything for you if you don't care. Why do you do that? You can't say anything to Him, of course. But you understand, okay? So, furthermore, a sacrament, every sacrament has a matter and it has a form. And here's probably the last thing we need to understand in order to have a basic understanding of sacraments. Matter is the material that you use. Form is the words that you say. Okay. Every sacrament uses some kind of material. Um, and we say that comes from God in one fashion or another, uh, uh, either directly or by the natural law. It's a long story. I don't want to get into that. Uh, those basic words can't be changed. The basic form for baptism, for example is I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I can't change that. There was recently a case of a guy who, he'd been baptizing people for years saying, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Did you hear about that in the news, baby? It was in the news. And the church came back and said, every single baptism he did is invalid. We're not free to change that. For when to say the Mass, I have to say, this is my body, this is my blood. I can't change that. Other things can change and might change, but it can never change what Jesus said. This is my body. This is my blood. Um, and that's what we call the form or, or, or forgiveness. I absolve, or I could probably say forgive you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I can't ever change that. I can botch all the rest, but I can't change that. That's called the form. What is form? The words that you speak. Are we masters of them or are we servants of them? We're servants. We're not free to change them, right? Okay. The matter. Every sacrament has matter. Matter is the material that's easier to understand. We also say Jesus instituted the matter of a sacrament. So if I baptize somebody with water, I'm doing okay. But what if I baptize them with milk? It doesn't work. What if I baptize them with uh, shoe polish? It doesn't work. What if I baptize them with coffee? Fool jar, Fool jar. I could actually baptize somebody with coffee. Want to know why? Because coffee is water with stuff floating in it. That's all it is. But I couldn't baptize them with saliva, which never was water. But I could baptize and I don't want to get, this is really getting nitpicky. Anybody who listens to this is probably screaming right now and telling me how wrong I am. But coffee is basically just dirty water. It's just water with stuff in it. If I had to baptize somebody with tap water, even though it has fluoride in it, yes, Coffee just has more stuff in it, but it's still basically water. Um, uh, I'm not free to change the. I'm not free to change the matter of a sacrament. So if I use the right matter and the right form and the right intention, the promise is that sacraments give grace. Makes sense. Um, okay, baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist lay the foundation for every Christian life. These are called the sacraments of initiation, and. We will go over them in your next class. I think you're now teed up to be able to hear about baptism and confirmation. Does anybody have any questions about sacraments?